So today I am going to be talking about not just mental illness, but specifically dealing with mental illness as an adult who has to take care of another adult who also has mental illness. I am frustrated, I am exhausted, and I am drained, to say the least. Um, and I don't know how to vocalize it beyond that sometimes. And asking for help is really difficult because help isn't really available all the time. And some people don't know how to handle the situation as a whole because they just don't have the patience for it. They see someone with a mental illness as just being crazy and then just don't want to accept that there are underlying problems going on, that there is a greater problem at hand. And the things that you're frustrated by are symptoms rather than the cause. I... I... I have to take care of my mom. My mom is 65 years old. She... is going blind. She's technically already legally blind, um, which means that her vision in, is impaired in such a way that she has to use what's known as like a walking stick, like the walking cane that you see most blind people using who are completely blind. That's how bad her vision is. <laughs> um, if it gets dark, vision totality is completely lost up to like 95%. My mom is the victim of emotional and physical abuse from previous relationships. She is the victim of physical, emotional, and mental abuse by my sister. My mom's had, she's been assaulted by um, her neighbors and her complex that she's lived in for 14 years. And my mom is one of the strongest people I've ever known in my whole life. She raised my brother, my sister and I as a single mom essentially because my dad is not a good person. And my mom's had mental health issues her whole life. And if you knew my mom, you'd know that she is a firecracker. She is sometimes an unstoppable force because there is so much energy that she has once she gets going. If you were to label her as, let's say, a tarot card, she is the perfect embodiment of the card's strength. That's the kind of person she is. 
And I love her. I love her to death. But, but, but I have the most complicated relationship I could possibly have with her. And it's because of my mental illness. It's because of her mental illness. Um, my mom, she had had, well, she has, she had untreated uh, bipolar disorder for a very long time. If you aren't aware of how bipolar disorder works, bipolar disorder is described as having highs and lows which i know sounds kind of vague but because everyone everyone experiences highs and lows just how it works is this is that you have everyone has peaks and valleys like you know good days bad days you know when you're on top of the world you feel on top of the world the downside to this though is that when it comes to bipolar disorder those highs and lows are a bit more vapid and not just vapid but extremely high or extreme lows. There's very rarely, you know, stability in terms of, oh, this is this is really good, but I accept it here. And then, you know, it's not like a gradual graph of slowly increasing or slowly decreasing. It is like an EKG. There is, you're either alive or you're not. And with bipolar disorder, if you flatline mentally, it's what it feels like. It feels like death. Um, so my mom had that, has had bipolar disorder for a very long time. Again, my mom is 65 years old, just for clarification that she is legally a senior citizen in the eyes of the U.S. Per California state law, she was, she's been a senior citizen for a while. I think federal government wise, she now a senior citizen as of like heading a couple years ago. Either way, the distinction is important. Um, my mom, she was working up. She was working nonstop until she couldn't anymore. And what I mean by that is a while back, she got in a car accident that gave her severe vertigo. And I know most people are like, oh, it's vertigo. It's, you can handle that. <laughs> my mom because of her bipolar disorder, could not handle vertigo. When it comes to vertigo, the number one treatment, for the most part, is to take some Valium and just sleep it off until your equilibrium comes back. That's not possible when you have bipolar disorder. My mom also, because of this accident that she was in, it was an automotive accident. She used to deliver medical equipment. Um... Also dislocated her right arm, damaged her rotary cuff, and broke her right elbow. So this is when I was a teenager. Like I think I just entered or was already in middle school, something like that. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm building a lot of the scene here, but it's to provide a lot of clarification as to why this is significant and why it's so exhausting for me. 
and it's it's not a pity thing. I I realize that this is what I'm meant to do when it comes to my relationship with my mom because my brother and sister are not capable of handling or being able to offer help in the same way that I am because they they have different life experiences and when it comes to having different life experiences they really do shape how your relationships with the people in your life are going to be sometimes you're incapable of handling something and sometimes you know that you can but it's also good to understand that you have a limit when it comes to those things and that's significant my brother has taken a very has taken a much more active role as of late and it's made an immense difference in terms of allowing myself to feel less exhausted and having my mom feel more involved in everything. So it, it, it truly is amazing what, you know, having one extra person can do. Um, but back to where I was starting. So because of this accident, it stopped my mom from being able to work because now her primary hand is her primary arm is completely ruined. Um, I think she was early 40s when this happened. 42, if I remember correctly. Something. No, maybe not 42. Either way, the, the exact age is not that important as, as to the effects of it. So during this time period, she had her... Um, she had vertigo. The treatment for it is Valium, which, you know, if you're not sure, has you <laughs> very tired and drowsy and makes you sleep a lot. And that, again, that's the treatment for it. But the treatment for when it comes to any kind of, let's say, injury or illness, the, the treatment is only as good as the person who's capable of following it, follow, following those instructions. If they say, if let's say you, if the doctor says you have to take one of these every two hours for three weeks, but you make sure that you're stretching and doing a regular walk, you know, that's to make sure that you're in health. It's, if you only do half of that, you're going to only recover about essentially at half the rate. <laughs> Or you might recover in a way that's not completely helpful. And that's important. It's truly important. Because that's essentially saying, I'm going to do the work, but not all of the work. And your body needs to do all those things so it can recover properly. To recover healthily. Put you in the situation that you were before. And that's significant. So... If you are injured and you aren't taking the treatment or doing the treatment properly, you aren't going to heal properly. With bipolar disorder and taking a medication, sleeping all the time doesn't work because of all the other things that are going on in your head as a result of bipolar disorder. It just doesn't work. You can't sleep so if you are if you do take the medication and you are trying to sleep but you feel helpless you're having these crazy episodes of sleep paralysis you are feeling like a prisoner trapped in your own body you know there's a bunch of stuff that is also going on with the bipolar disorder that you can't do anything about because 
this medication is preventing you from being able to function. And I know bipolar disorder is something easy that can be treated and treatable and managed, but that also means that you have to look at it and say, hey, I know I have a problem. I know that this is what's going on. And I think it might be this. Can, can we use this as a starting point and a reference point? Most people don't want to look at themselves and say, hey, I think I might have some manifestations of a mental illness. My mom's the kind of person who doesn't want to accept help from anybody. Because of my grandmother, who is a whole other topic and situation another time. But my mom, one, doesn't like asking for help because she thinks it makes her weak. And two, doesn't know how to ask for it or present it in a way that people understand that that was a cry for help. With that all in mind, because of this accident, she became severely depressed. Um, and not just like severely depressed, like, oh, I have a time period of depression. I, this, She developed major depression disorder during this time period, which is, a normal, like, which is normal when you have an accident that affects your body. 100% normal. You tack that on with bipolar disorder, it is completely unmanageable. I remember at several points in time when I was a teenager that I really needed a parent and I really needed my mom and I really wanted my mom to be my mom again and the person she was during this time period was not her anymore even though I know I knew it was her I knew it was her brain it just wasn't her anymore because so many other factors had taken over You know, she started making some questionable decisions. One of those big decisions was dating this man who was a complete racist. And not racist to her. My mom is Hispanic. A Latina woman. And she was dating another Latino me my brother and I my brother sister and I we're mixed my dad's black we have a very diverse ethnic background if we want to get very technical but for the most part we're just black and Mexican and the man she was dating was completely racist to my brother and I because we were darker skinned than my sister who was a light skinned Latina like my mom and if you look at me I'm actually lighter skinned than my sister <laughs> and yet somehow I was still the target of being called a nigger because this racist Mexican man just decided that he hated black people for some reason. And my mom was too depressed, too sick 
too episodic with her mental illness and too broken physically to be able to do anything about it. Like, all the things there mentally were there, but the ability to do them and handle them and take care of them was not there any longer. Because my mom lost her job because of the accident and not being able to work, we went from... We were never well off remotely. But we got by. Like, we could do things. Like, we could afford groceries and stuff before, but then we went to far below the poverty line. Like, pretty regularly during the year, our water would be turned off. We wouldn't be able to have groceries. We wouldn't be able to have clean clothes. I I couldn't afford supplies for school for a couple of years. Um, and it's, it's hard to think about and talk about still. Because it's, 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 it's hard to connect with that when you don't experience it. And it's hard to talk about because most people don't endure a situation like that because it sounds so alien and so unbelievable. Like, oh, your mom was in an accident and she started dating this racist who was on drugs and an alcoholic and she let him call you all sorts of derogatory and racial slurs. Why did she do anything about it? Because she had mental illness and she physically couldn't do these things. It's, it's hard to paint when you don't live a situation like that. But it's, it's, it happened. Either way, I don't want to talk about that too heavily. However, I, it, it, it does paint a very particular photo of why my relationship with her is, I want to say complicated. Not strained, just complicated. <laughs> it's very entangled. Um... Because my mom is a strong person, and I think if she was aware that these things were happening to her and could handle them, she would have taken care of them. But that's not how it works. <laughs> um, so eventually, she gets out of this relationship. You know, we all essentially go our different ways. My brother moved out very early. He moved out at like 16. My sister and I are there trying to take care of what we could take care of to the best of our abilities as teenagers. And my sister and I were facing individually a whole bunch of problems. Me being a gay teen in a very conservative town, constantly being targeted by anti-gay everything, like harassment, being bullied, like, and I'm not small. <laughs> I'm 6'4", almost 6'5". Like, I'm really tall. But I also stand out like a sore thumb. My sister, she was liked by pretty much everybody, but it didn't stop people from targeting her for whatever reason. So both of us are trying to deal with these crazy situations that are going on while being extremely impoverished with... A dad who doesn't even exist at this point, and my mom who is really sick. So we're trying our best to do what we can to help the situation. We're trying to be adults when we're still children. Eventually, um, 
my sister ends up moving with my moving in with my dad for like a year or two because it was a more stable environment than living at home with my mom. And <laughs> I know that sounds like, okay, well, that sounds like a logical step, right? No. I mean, it w was. It, it's a logical step to try and find stability. My dad is not a stable person. My dad's never been a stable person. He is not that kind of person. So my dad doesn't have his own place. He doesn't have stability. He doesn't work a government job because he doesn't want to pay taxes. And if he tries to get a legal job, he's owes so much in back child support that he wouldn't be able to live. That is assault, the essential reason why he doesn't have a job or a legal job or anything. So he, either way, at the time he was living with this woman who I think was going to be his fourth wife or fifth wife. I don't really remember. It's not that important. She's nice. My little brother uh, had been born and was growing and Essentially, this woman became my little brother's mom because his real mom had a emotional and psychotic break and then left my dad, left all her children with my dad, and my dad didn't know what to do. And then eventually all those kids had to... I, mean, I, I say all those kids, but they're my, bro, they're my brothers and sisters. Like, they're, they're my step-siblings, and I love them. But it just sucks that their mom left and took away any other stability that they could have had. So we're all suffering during this time period. It's a hard time period. And my sister moves in with my dad, who at this point is essentially homeless. He is floating between living with my aunt and my grandpa and my uncle. And kind of like in a random trailer in between the houses and stuff like so not a stable environment, but it's more stable for my sister than it is to live with my mom because it's so vapid. I, I, I stayed with my mom um, because I wanted to make sure she was safe. I didn't want this crazy person to hurt her. I, I thought that if I stayed there with my mom, I could protect her from this man hurting her more. Eventually, um, me and this guy get into a fight and he gets, the police take him away. He's technically not a legal citizen in the U.S., so I think they immigrated him. But then it's also like, a whole reason you guys are here because I called you. He is physically assaulting my mom and myself. Like, can you do something? Either way, he got deported. I think he's like stuck in, Me he's stuck in Mexico now and he doesn't know how to survive there because... He is so racist that he doesn't even want to be around other Mexicans. Like, I can't describe to you this man. It's just ridiculous. Either way, um, that was my teen years. So my mom uh, eventually meets this other person who's way better. Great guy. Is really making a lot of headway and tracks in terms of helping my mom recover from her physical illness, helping her understand her mental illness. And during this, also during this time period, my mom um, had a lot of retinal and cornea damage as a result of, you know, wearing what are known as rigid lenses or hard contact lenses for so many years. Um, so as a result, she developed an early, an early cataract. So they had to do 
the surgery to repair that and everything. So she had good vision for a little bit of time. And this is kind of setting the scene for my mom now being legally blind and essentially just being blind. They did the surgery, they corrected it, they corrected the cataract. Um, but because of the type of damage that she had, um, it created a lot of long-term retinal and cornea scarring in her eyes, which is a lot harder to correct because essentially it's scar tissue that's built up and developed in the areas that are supposed to absorb light and clarity. And you don't have to be an optometrist, an ophthalmologist, or even a surgeon or any kind of doctor to understand that if the area that is supposed to be allowing you to see, focus, and understand and interpret light sources of patterns and everything is being blocked by scar tissue, it's going to diminish your ability to see. And so this, you know, this kind of starts to happen slowly over the few, like the next following years. And then my mom is like really starting to notice like, hey, like my vision's not right. Like things are very warped. If you wear glasses, and you know, I'm just trying to find a, an easy way to like meet, meet, like level the playing field a little bit. If you wear glasses and you like, you know what it's like to, have poor vision. If you happen to wear glasses and you happen to have an astigmatism, you're like, oh yeah, I know how that works. My eyes can only be corrected so much, but I can still mostly see, right? The vision that she was kind of developing at this point was like having a double astigmatism in each eye. Which sounds crazy. Like there is nothing we can do. Your eye is so warped. Not your eye shape itself, but the areas of your eye that are necessary to see are so warped that even if we correct it, it's never going to be perfect. It's about managing expectations. And that's essentially what happened to my mom and her eyes. So she had, she had to go in for an emergency, not emergency surgery, but essentially she, her vision deteriorated so rapidly at one point that she had to go in for an emergency surgery. Um, so we could fix her eyes and the only way that they could correct this is through uh laser corrective surgery and lasik surgery if you're unfamiliar the parameters of lasik are very specific you have to have vision range between a certain range or not because essentially they're burning off all the areas and uh, burning off the areas in the lens of your eye so you can see it's all very technical I want to get LASIK, however, my vision is so poor that I cannot qualify for it because it would essentially delete the lens I have in my eye, <laughs> which is awful, but that's a whole other thing. Um, but because they weren't aware or didn't see the fact that she had a surgery there, they didn't realize that she wouldn't be a good candidate for this because her one, her vision was so poor, and two, the corrective surgery that she had, even though it corrected her vision didn't mean that her vision had a strong starting point to begin with. Which means that if she was aware of it and they were aware of it, they would have realized that she was a very poor candidate for this because it, her vision would have had more irreparable damage done to it. Um, so, 
that's exactly what happened. They performed the surgery and it goes wrong. Her first eye is fine because enough of her, her the starting point for her, her stronger eye was a better point. The her weaker eye, awful. As a result of this, um, she essentially lost the ability to focus in that eye for any reason. And her ability to absorb and see light out of that eye is so bad that she is just, it's, she's got an eye and it, it, she's got an eye. <laughs> she can see with it if there's a lot of light and that's the best we can hope for. Her right eye, again, the starting point was better, but it wasn't a great starting point. Um, it's slowly catching up to the other eye. So at this point, um, it's been a few years and again, if it starts to get any darker than it is beyond like high noon, it's too dark for my mom to be able to see and do things by herself out in the world. My mom can't drive anymore. Even though her arm has recovered, she um, still can't do a lot of things with her arm because there are still pins and stuff that if she moves them, if she, she, if she lifts something slightly too heavy, they can dislodge or cause her a lot of pain. I'm not trying to paint my mom to like, oh, feel bad for my mom, feel sympathetic for my mom, like my mom needs your pity, nothing like that. It's just, all of these are just small, like all of these are crazy milestones that happen in life. And they're all what bring me to the person my mom is today. My mom's not in a good place. Both emotionally, mentally, as well as physically. I mentioned earlier that my mom had an abusive ex-boyfriend. And it's not the racist. That guy's in Mexico. He's not coming back. <laughs> I made sure of that. But she has an abusive ex-boyfriend that who broke that same elbow that was already broken and caused more damage and she had to give further surgeries to correct it this man is a psychopath not a not a literal psychopath he's not a clinical psychopath he's not that whatsoever he is an alcoholic dependent psychopath like, he goes, if he starts drinking, I mean, he's an alcoholic. Let's just call it what it is. He's an alcoholic with substance abuse issues. And, you know, he, he went to jail and everything for all sorts of other stuff. But this man, you know, my mom broke up with him, like, years ago at this point. This man pops up, like, once a month and just hovers outside of her apartment 
and like thinks that he if he brings her a random can of coke she's gonna like bring like take him back or some shit like that either way it's this man's crazy he has no real he's just an overgrown child at this point because of all the drinking that has pickled his liver and kidney and i just hope that he dies soon which is an awful thing to say but this man is an awful person and i think he's way worse than the person that was also an alcoholic and drug addicted asshole who was a racist like, <laughs> if my bar is that this racist person who was literally, like, trying to physically assault me during my teen years, who was under the effects of booze and methamphetamines, and I think that person is better than this other person, like, that tells you how much worse this other person is. But that's, yeah, either way. This man, you know, my mom broke up with him, like, seven eight years ago i don't know i don't keep count he's not that important to me but the fact that he pops up once a month or once every few months and like tries to offer my mom like some consolation bag or token like take me back is just crazy and obsessive but this man again he pops up occasionally and my mom just like is at her apartment she's lived for 14 years and this man just keeps popping up and she's like well i can't go anywhere like i can't go anywhere i can't do anything i can't see like i can't move because i don't have the money to do that like so she's stuck with this one random psychopath who pops up to try and like do whatever because he's weird i'm not gonna try and put i'm not gonna try and figure out what's going on I understand that those things are the manifestations of his mental illness, but I don't need to understand it for him to know he's not and hasn't been welcome there for a very long time. Let alone, he's popping up. Like the last time I saw him was like a few months ago and I told him he needs to go because I was visiting my mom. I was making sure that she's okay because I see my mom twice a week, normally Wednesdays and Fridays, just so I can make sure that, you know, appointments are taken care of she's got groceries this and that everything um my mom was like asleep and this motherfucker like pops up at the door he's just like let me in I'm like i was like no thanks uh you need to go bye he's like you could tell he was drunk he was so drunk that i could smell the booze on him and the door was closed okay like that's how much he was drinking called the police while i'm on the phone with the police like He's threatening to murder me and everything. And he's like, open the door. I'm going to fucking murder you. I'm like, you just threatened to kill me. I'm not going to open the door now. And so I'm like literally on the phone with like the police. Um, and, they're, and they're like, he's threatening to murder you. I'm like, yep. Is that him in the background? Yep. Oh. Yeah. Um. <laughs> like I said, the, 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 like I said, it's a crazy situation. Anyway, the, the story's not about him. Either way, I just think he's an awful person. But yeah, this, this psychopath pops up way more often than he needs to. And they haven't been together in a very long time. So like my mom doesn't feel safe in her apartment. You know, like two years ago, she got jumped by some shitty neighbors because it was like 4th of July weekend or whatever. And, like, she told these teenagers, can you not, you know, 
set the fireworks off. Not like firecrackers, fireworks, which are illegal in our county, by the way, because they're an extreme fire hazard. Can you not? She's like, can you not set them off like right here next to my apartment because you're scaring my cat and like you could potentially like catch my cat's fur on fire? Well, they didn't like that, so they go tell their parents and they fucking come to the door and they like literally rip my mom out of the apartment and jump her and like she had to go to emergency and a bunch of stuff. So like my mom's not feeling safe in her own home anymore. My mom's going blind. She had untreated and undiagnosed bipolar disorder for a long time and then you know major depression it it can last a long time and it took a long time to get her out of her depression the first time and now it's at a point where it's probably not we're not going to get we're not going to get out of it It's, again, it's just the reality of it. Some days it's tiring, sometimes exhausted if you have depression, if you've ever had depression. It's, every day's a battle. Every day is, feels like you're fighting a battle on a lo- in a losing war. That's <laughs> what it feels like. Um, and I'll get to why I've got a complicated relationship with my mom as this develops, or as I explain further. Because, like I said, this is mostly just scene building. It's been 37 minutes of scene building at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, so over the last couple of years, I've had to definitely take a um, very active, more proactive role in terms of my mom's declining health. Because over the last few years, um, a few family members have passed away that were close to my mom. And I say this because it's literally also a huge factor as to why my mom's depression is not going away anytime soon. My mom's best friend was her brother, my uncle. He um, he passed away a few years ago. And... Um, He was never the best person in the world, but he was just such a good uncle that I loved him. Like, anytime I have a memory of him, they're always positive, which is not something I can say about a lot of people in my family. Because my relationship with my family is more complicated than my relationship with my mom. (laughs) Because that is her family. And if you understood everything that happened as to why everyone became the way they did, like... I, I, I can see why all of my family have developed the way they have. I'll just leave it at that. But I never had a bad memory or negative experience with my uncle because he was such a loving person. And it wasn't until after he passed away why I realized he was such a loving and intense person to my brother, sister, and I. He, he passed away from... Um, I believe hepatitis C or is it B? Um, I, th- I think it's B. Yeah, B. Complications with hepatitis B. 
um, which causes a lot of liver problems, liver infections, essentially. Um, he had a very, very late stage of liver cirrhosis. His body couldn't, his liver was essentially useless at this point. Um, and his kidneys were also just ruined because of years of drinking and substance abuse issues. And again, it's not to say that he wasn't a good or loving person, but it's easy to see that he was hurting in a way that he thought self-medication was the best solution. Or maybe not the best solution, but the only solution that he could manage and have access to because, again, most people don't understand that they're hurting. And if they do understand they're hurting, they don't want to, they don't know where and how to get help. Either way, um, my uncle, before he passed, had been off and on for, uh, off and on sick for the years leading up to it. And I didn't really know because my uncle was the kind of person, he wouldn't disappear, but like, him and my mom's relationship was very hot and cold. When they were together, they were best friends, they loved each other, but if they fought, they, it was, it was a fight. Not like physically fighting, but it'd be like, I'm not going to talk to you for years kind of fight. And during this time period, it was <laughs> just coming down, coming down from one of the cold periods where they had a fight and then they were building up their relationship again. My mom didn't know he was sick. And when you have mental illness, you don't like a lot of people, <laughs> let alone you especially don't like people who also have the same mental illness as you. It's not because you're like, I don't like it because of this and that. It's just like, you know, you realize that you're crazy is manifesting in a certain way. You know, all of these symptoms are happening. And when you're hit with a force that also does that because you're the cause of it and someone else is the cause of their own and like it just it just is so conflicting so like when you have mental illness especially when it comes to bipolar disorder you typically unless you're being treated or on medication like you're not going to get along with other bipolar people because it's just like team too much we'll call it um so some of the as I mentioned earlier, sorry, let me just take a step back. Getting mentally ahead of myself, essentially. Um, my mom doesn't like to ask for help. And she doesn't know how to ask for help. And when she does have a cry for help, most people don't interpret it as that. This is something that happens all the time with a lot of people. But most heavily prevalent in my mother's side of the family. My Uncle Roy, again, like I said, he, at this point, is dying and doesn't, hasn't told anyone because I don't think the reality of it's really set into him. My mom doesn't know, that's for sure. But she starts seeing that my uncle's doing these weird things, like he's sending her weird messages and she doesn't know what they mean. And she's like, stop telling me this weird shit. You know what I mean? Um, like he sent her a message one day that said SOS and I'm not going to forget this because it haunts my mom until this day so much so that if I bring up my uncle 
she will start crying for hours and I won't be able to talk to her for days because she has so much guilt about this. The SOS message that she received was to help my uncle go to the hospital because he was so sick that he didn't know what to do. I think the following day is when he was admitted to the hospital and then they were capable of treating him then and there temporarily, but then I think about a week later, maybe two weeks later, is when he went fully comatose and his body was just rejecting everything, rejecting all forms of treatment because his body couldn't process it any longer because his kidney and livers were so ruined. My mom feels so much guilt for not being able to help because she didn't know it was a cry for help. She thought he was just being weird. And I remember having to get a hold of my aunts and uncles and my cousins to let them know that my uncle was dying. My uncle had given my mother power of attorney to make any, um, sorry, um, trying to keep myself composed. Um, my uncle had given my mother power of attorney to handle anything on the legal side if he was incapable of doing it. I think he was making slow preparations because I think he started to understand that his days were limited and the only person he really trusted was my mom. And I remember when we were at the hospital and they, uh, they told us that my uncle was dying and they could do a couple of surgeries to... Uh, they could do a couple surgeries to keep him alive, but there would be no point. <laughs> they said we could... The, the option that they provided was what's called a stent, which essentially is... It helps... It bypasses certain things or your body can process them. And the doctor said we could do a stent. Um, however... There's no guarantee that this isn't going to happen again, let alone happen very quickly. We could put it in. He'll be fine and stable today, but he could literally be in the same situation in a couple days or a week or a month. There's no telling. But it's going to be a lot more short term than anything else. Right now, he is comatose and he's, his body is rejecting all treatment and... He's got brain activity, but it's declining so rapidly that within the next few days, there's going to be no brain activity. So we could do the stent, we could keep him alive for a little bit, but he's going to be a vegetable for a very long time, if not permanently a vegetable. And um, we had to talk to all of our family about this. Me and my mom. And uh, this is kind of where I realized that if you have unfinished business with somebody, if you're upset about something someone did to you and they wronged you and you want closure, you're not going to get closure. I don't, I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to sound crazy about it. But if you're trying to find a way that you can say goodbye to someone so you can meet closure, it's not going to happen. You have to be an adult. Accept it for what it is. 
or get closure on your own. You don't need someone else to get closure for yourself. I know that sounds crazy, but it's it's necessary. Like if you find your own closure, you don't need someone else to do it for you. But my one uncle, he and my uncle had, uh, I mean my my one uncle and my other uncle, I've got four on my mom's side. Um, had a very very tremulous relationship, and when. I told him, like, there's nothing in what we can do that's to save my uncle's life. He got, he got very angry. He, he, like, wanted to fight. And it's just, you know, a stage of grieving. Like, you know, there is the anger, and then there's the denial, there's bargaining, you know, there's a bunch of them. But all of my siblings who... Did I say siblings? <laughs> all of my uncle's siblings who had negative things that they wanted closure for just they negative they manifested negatively immediately because they just didn't want to accept that that's what it was my mom she understood all of this she accepted all of it and she knew that she didn't want to have my uncle um in a vegetative state for the rest of his life. But she couldn't make the decision to, um, to, sorry, I don't mean to, she couldn't make the decision by herself to, I don't want to say pull the plug because that's literally not what happens. But make the decision that to have a DNR, do not resuscitate when it came to my uncle. And that was the compromise that we had with everybody. But I had to make the decision for her because she was she couldn't do it because she wanted him alive, but she she didn't want to have him hurting and she didn't want to just see a corpse there. And this is kind of why I say my mom and I have a very complicated relationship because it's it's weird going from being the son or daughter in your relationship with your parent to essentially becoming their parent and that's kind of where I've been in the last few years and this is kind of why it's exhausting my mom feels a lot of guilt and shame that she couldn't help my uncle because she didn't understand that he was hurting she didn't understand that he was sick because the things that were hurting her and making her sick blocked that ability to understand and empathize with someone else. And that's what it's like having mental illness a lot. Untreated especially. Is that it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's, it's not just a wall. It's not just a gate. It's not just a door. It's not something that prevents you from doing something it's 
depending on your mental illness, it's a cage, <laughs> it's bondage, it's all sorts of weird things. And even though we know and accept that it's not physically any of those things, your brain is developed in such a way, or releases certain chemicals in such a way that it's hard to do a lot of things. My mom is 65 years old. I know that she has bipolar, depre bipolar depression. It's technically what she has. She has developed agoraphobia with extreme anxiety as a result of her losing her vision, as well as the strength and ability in her arms, let alone aging. And there's just something that's really different in the U.S., I think, about when it comes to taking care of people who are the seniors in your family. We don't really treat them with reverence with love and respect in the way that we see in Chinese culture. And I know, like, I know that's a, a crazy thing to say. But I feel like it's so common here to just say, like, oh, my, oh, she's older, let's just put her in a home. And it's just so accepted as normal, and I don't like that. Because I don't want my mom to be in a home. I don't want my mom to be away. I want my mom taken care of, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I want to make sure she's okay. But I feel like as long as my mom feels that she's capable of doing something for herself, I'm going to be right there with her, backing her up. Because I know my mom is strong. She's been strong through all of this for such a long time. And why it's so exhausting for me is because I, it's so hard for me to want to do things for myself because of my mental illness, because of the crazy stuff that's happened to me individually in my life. I know I say it a lot. I have, I have depression, uh, sorry, I have major depression, I have major depression major depression disorder and persistent depressive disorder. I've had them my whole, my whole life. As a result of having a surgery on my insides, I have developed post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety related to food. Because my body just gets sick from it. And then, as of late 2020, early 2021, developing a cancerous, tumorous growth in my hand that had to get removed. And now I cannot bend my hand. And it's just, it's tiring, it's exhaustive, it's draining that I don't even want to be here doing certain things for myself 
because my body doesn't want to agree with it, let alone my mind. And I've got to fight all of these obstacles so much for myself. And then I have to do it five times more. And I have to be so much stronger for my mom so she can just so she can just have the strength to live that day. Sorry, I, I know I've cranked so much this episode, and I don't mean to. It's just, I think when it comes to anything, when it comes to the people in your life, when it comes to your relationships with people, we have to understand there's a cause and effect for a lot of it. If we acknowledge and accept the fact that there are other underlying issues that have affected people to be the way they are, and we set up and establish a healthy boundary with them so we can have a healthy relationship with them, it makes a world of difference. I'm not saying you have to be a psychologist, a psychiatrist, you don't have to be someone's personal therapist. If someone feels strong enough to do something for themselves, and you want to encourage that strength and growth, please do so. But also, be, be honest, communicate, and don't be afraid to share that you're hurting. Don't be afraid to ask for help. I think we get so caught up in the craziness of life sometimes that we just deal with the situation. We don't cope with it. We don't accept it. We just... It's just what it is, and we just kind of move on. And we don't realize how much that affects us as time goes on. I, I struggle with it. It's something I acknowledge every day. Like, But if you can't do something that day, just do your best that you can that day. Your best today isn't what, ha what it was yesterday. Just do what you can do today the best you can. If I know that I'm having a hard day and... It's a day that I'm supposed to see my mom. I'll call her and say, Mom, I'm not capable today because of X, Y, and Z. Maybe I don't even have to give a whole reason. I tell her that too. And I'm like, Mom, if you're not feeling something today, if you don't want to go out because you're not feeling good, just let me know. I will not I will not bug you to do anything. And, this, and I do the same with her. Hey, Mom, I'm not feeling good today. Can we do it tomorrow? Yeah, okay. That gives me a chance to do this and that. I'm like, okay, I'm glad. So, I think all I really want to stress today is that this one wasn't related to a video game. I was trying to play one. Like, I've been in the HUD layout screen on Final Fantasy for, for two hours because I didn't know what to do. Like, and, and I thought that this would be the best time to talk about this because my relationship with my mom. I love my mom. I'm never going to stop loving her. But I know it's complicated, I know it's crazy, and I make jokes about it to myself and with my partner, with my friends. And I understand why she's the way she is, I understand all these things. And understanding something is way different than knowing something. Because I'm experiencing it. I have first-hand first experience and knowledge of the situation.
but I also have my like a third person perspective because it's not me that it's happening to. It's but yeah, just be kind. Don't don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. If you don't know how to ask for help, practice, practice, practice. It's important. I don't want to say it can save your life, but there's a lot of things that hurt us individually. And we don't know how to tell someone that hurts us until they see they are hurting us. And you don't have to talk about a painful situation that you don't want to, but you can just, whoever it is, let's say you're in a relationship with someone, right? If you were in an abusive relationship before and they don't know that and they do something that triggers that, they're not going to know until something like that happens. Like particular verbiage, as an example. Like, if I tell my mom that, hey mom, uh, I know that you're doing this right now. And I'm glad that you feel comfortable enough to talk to me, but this is a lot for me right now. It's kind of exhaustive. The word exhaustive itself for my mom is a huge trigger and will just go crazy. <laughs> so even if I'm exhausted, I can't tell my mom, hey, mom, I'm exhausted. Like, because it just sends her down a emotional rabbit hole of the vapid up and down of bipolar depression. So, um, that's, I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna end it here because I will probably just, I don't want to go in a circle. Either way, whoever's listening, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. This has been a way for me to try and get some of the crazy, negative, exhaustive things out of my head so I can focus on something productive and yet I somehow feel very productive doing this I'm still trying to figure out how to do all the editing and adjustments and everything and if anyone has any um, if anyone has any recommendations for editing software or whatever let me know um, and I will definitely look into it um, other than that, have a great rest of your day, and I hope it goes well.